Hi again, everyone. Welcome back to the Leverage 10 podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Dobson, and as always, I'm joined by the executive producers and co-creators of Leverage, John Rogers and Chris Downey. Hello, fans. Hello. And today, we're also joined by Jen Cow, the writer of this episode. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being Project here. Project, Jen. <laughs> Projecting. I'm such a low talker. It's, yeah, it's you are. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll angle the microphone okay, okay. toward I'm you. Leaning, I'm leaning forward. Yeah. <laughs> On today's podcast, we'll be discussing episode 513, The Corkscrew Job which is also directed by Mark Roskin. So if everyone's ready, let's get started. Uh, number one, Susie Frank 7 asks, is one of the writers on staff the resident anophile, or did one of you have to do some heavy-duty research for this episode? I, it's, it was, I think it was a mix. Everyone had their opinions. You and Scott Veach got into a giant... It was A little bit of this was born out of that argument, right? It was. It was the whole, can you taste the difference in quality wine or not? And yeah. they had totally different positions on it. And we all had all these studies, and we really got into it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it should be pointed out that Jen is our resident of food-based cons and heists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, nice. She made her mark last year in the potato job, where yep. we stole a genetically engineered potato, and is continuing it with wine. As See, I was brought in to fill a food-based niche. Yes, yes. we yeah. just really... That was, that was something we'd been looking for for a long time. Really? really came in. Exactly. Um, I have to say, I think that's the low-talking is actually your pitching strategy, too, because that is... That is uh, twice you've kind of, well, I got kind of a thing, and you've pitched it, and we went, boom, episode, done, <laughs> we're out. Uh, we actually, uh, when Jen pitched this, she pitched out the wine, the tests for the wine, and the fact that wine is radioactive, and the room actually broke it, I believe, into applause. <laughs> and then we went, I said, okay, next. And Josh Sher said, I'm not following that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jen does a lot of really great research. I think part of the fun of the show is we learn something new about every, every field every week, and you've got a nice way of finding the quirky stuff. Yay, yeah. yeah. It's all about, like, the crazy tech test that you would never expect for something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then kind of following up on that, LT Dennis wants to know, is the Thomas Jefferson bottle based on a real wine? It is. Um, Thomas Jefferson was a huge, gosh, I'm not enough of an enophile to say that word correctly, enophile, but yeah, Thomas Jefferson was really into wine. He was like our country's first foodie, basically, mm -hmm. and apparently very obnoxious. And there are journal <laughs> entries from people who are like, Thomas Jefferson will not stop talking about wine. It's <laughs> killing us. So, yeah, so he, um, he had wine. I love that. That's wow. great. Yeah, One of our like... founding fathers was an annoying dinner guest. He was. He would have been Instagramming oh, his... Oh, God, he's just swishing the wine <laughs> again oh. for... Oh. oh, first it was architecture. No, and then it was... Uh, yeah, he would have been an Instagram guy. It's like, oh, I gotta, take, I gotta get a shot of this. Like, yeah. just drink the goddamn wine. <laughs> so, yeah, so basically he had a huge, you know... Uh, what do you call it? He had a huge wine cellar, and then um, there was a huge scandal, like maybe 10 years ago, about Thomas Jefferson wine surfacing. It was actually written up in a book, and I can't remember the name of the writer, but it was called The Billionaire's Vinegar. And it was about the fact that they had no idea if this bottle that billionaires were passing amongst each other was really the bottle, or was even just wine anymore, whether mm -hmm. it just gone to vinegar. There's yeah. just no way to test it. Cause, and much like sort of the gimmick we used in the show, you can't open it. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you know a, a, a Je Thomas Jefferson's wine is exactly like a mint condition Chewbacca in the plastic from 1977. <laughs> nice. There's no difference between the two. You open it and you've utterly devalued it. I think the Chewbacca might be slightly more valuable. Yeah, yeah <laughs> probably at this point. Yeah. Just maybe. Um, well, I'm still kind of talking about the research and the realities. Michelle asks, uh, how realistic are those wine tests, and would it be possible to cheat them with the team's methods? The wine tests, crazily enough, are totally realistic. They really do test for the cesium isotope. They really do test the glass for whether it's chromium or manganese. So that's just that's just true. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, I mean that's I think kind of the fun of the show is 
a lot of times you come in with the can you believe the true thing and that becomes mm-hmm. the outer boundary of the show and then everything else is just well that's research it fills in and it's boring and people sometimes think we stretch for the tr- the, the, the weird sounding thing mm-hmm. we usually start with the weird sounding thing because that's what got us interested in the first place mm-hmm. you know and Jen in particular is really great at like here's a weird fringe case that's true and then we kind of build the case backward and also the fact that there were so many tests I think gave us the idea of faking the bottle yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, when, when there when there is like a, a really complicated methodology behind something, it gives you a way to do a heist story in a different way, and that's really what opened yeah. the door for that. Well, before we move on, I have to ask you, Jen. You said there was an argument that broke out whether or not you can taste the differences between the wine. Which side were you on? Oh, I was on the like you can taste it, but I'm kind of that person. I'm like, oh yeah, it totally is justified to pay blah 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 for whatever. <laughs> like yeah, this coffee or tea is amazing. And Scott is definitely much more like, can you measure it? Can you do like a double blind test and will it be justified? So those were the <laughs> and two there sides. Are, of of course, very famous tests where you take food coloring and change the color of, of wine and people just assume it's a different wine. Oh. You know. Okay. It's where there's a lot of different senses that go into taste and, and, and perception of value and stuff. And so if you hack them, you can fool them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were actually, there were tests that I wanted to use and couldn't. Like they're doing fMRI studies now where they literally, you can see someone's brain while tasting these different wines and you can see what are they experiencing and what are they saying that they're tasting mm-hmm. and stuff yeah. like that. And just things like playing different music can make you think this wine is amazing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'll say a perfect good example of just the ability to change perception is in Hollywood. Uh, when you're talking to a young lady in a bar and you go, I'm a comedian who works in bars, you, you are a low low price wine, but if you say, I'm a television producer who makes television, you are the same person, wow. and yet you are now a high value wine. It's, yeah. it's, a very, it's a really remarkable thing. If only Context. we could bring the fMRI machine into the bar. Oh, that would be fantastic. Put her, just put her in it. Really, really measure exactly how that perception is. Balance yeah. it on the other bar stool. Yeah, exactly. We could, we we could, could probably figure that, that out. Yeah. yeah. Some some intrepid social science scientist listening to this. Exactly. Please. Social experiment. I mean, but that was one of my fun. That's what was nice is the research gave us the hook into the emotional story, which was about perception. Mm-hmm. Was about that gave us the nice Nate Sophie Runner, and very much the argument um, became with Jen doing Nate and Scott Veach kind of doing Sophie, and yeah. a lot of the stuff from that dialogue is actually kind of like in the show that argument. Yeah, and, yes. and another fun aspect of that is that uh, Tim is a big loves wine. Oh, Tim's a big. Uh, I was about to say big drinker. Yeah, uh, Tim, no, Tim really <laughs> loves wine. Yeah. He loves wine. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that it was a it was a nice way to put him in a in you know yeah. that position because he really really loves it. So Tim's the resident anaphile. I would say of the. He, oh, yeah. I just want to use that absolutely. word. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was actively a little worried about it going into it. I was like, okay, well. I'd, Gonna read a little bit more about wine this weekend because I'm gonna be talking to Tim and you know. <laughs> no, but he was very good about just kind of like yeah. He, he was he, great. He just, the um, I would say uh, Christian is a Jack Danielsophile. Is like however that <laughs> word actually like a bourbonophile or whatever yeah. that strings together. There's probably a word for There's it. There's gotta be a word for we'll it. Look it up later. I'm an Irish whiskeyophile. It's really it's nice. Anaphile seems like you're ruining. Yeah, yeah. I like that. You're ruining a privileged word. <laughs> Uh, well, moving on, we actually had uh, people guessing about the location. So, Hey Jim asks, which Oregon winery did you use for the location? The exterior looks familiar, but I can't quite place it. Hey Jim, uh, we used Domaine Serene, which was how far outside Portland? Gosh, about like an hour? Yeah. Yeah. And they were super courteous and wonderful and, and really helped us make the show. Makers of wonderful Pinot Noir. The yeah. Willamette Valley is known for their Pinots, and they make a great one at Domaine Serene. 
Yeah. And, we, and, we, and, the, we, and the cast, I guess, enjoyed it very much. Yeah. I would yeah. say that uh, if you're going to do like a day trip out of Portland, Chris, <laughs> that what you really want to do is maybe drive the hour down to Domain Serene, do a little wine tasting, maybe eat something at the restaurant, and just enjoy the beauty of the Willamette Valley. Uh, I... It was a. It was a, a very. It was nice. It's, well it's the NPR. Is the NPR uh, voiceover? If I can, if I can speak for Mark Roskin, because he talked about the experience of shooting uh, at, at Domain Serene. He said the great thing at the end of the day was they're in this beautiful location, and you'd have all the crew, you know, carrying cables on their shoulders and just sipping these uh, yeah. glasses of wine. Yeah, exactly. Just you got like. There. Getting their nose in there. 260-pound grips hauling lights with like a, 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 like a fine piece of wine in their left hand, just kind of balancing it. Yeah, this is a very. Cherry. It was yeah. a very enjoyable shoot. Yeah, and and almost uh, we used most of those locations because we were on location. We didn't really build anything. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, we built some stuff on set. That wine cellar with the gates and stuff, we built. They actually just had a storage oh. system, and we, we went down and went. We should we should have some fancy this up mm -hmm. and we did and they actually wound up keeping it I believe they wound mm -hmm. up keeping their basement looking like oh, the nice. way we built it oh, and cool. of course the CO two tower is real mm -hmm. yeah yeah that was definitely a thing that um, you know I think Chris you and Dean scouted the yeah, winery from the beginning first. right. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, the location was just so amazing. We, they let us walk all over it, and they showed us every nook and cranny. And we basically went through and be like, okay, well, that's in the script. That's in the script. Okay, we're going to have to change this stuff, but that is in the script. So, yeah, when you see a staircase like that, it does seem like people have to be jumping off of it at the end. Yeah. Well, I do want to say, after you came back from the location scout, you came back with a case of wine. We did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we did. And a plane fuselage. <laughs> we did. That's true. It was, yeah. quite, it was quite a trip. Quite the trip. Well, you need I, one to hold the I other, can't send so. you on these trips anymore. I guess <laughs> you come back with some guys come back with snow globes. Yeah, you came yeah. back with a plain fuselage. <laughs> uh, well, moving on, we have some questions more about the uh, characters. Um, Kala asks, "Great casting as always, especially Dana Barron. How did you get her on the show? She auditioned, right? Uh, she's a friend of Dean's. Yes. So that's right. I think they go back and like." They wanted to find a place for her, and she was just really right for this role. Yeah, yeah. It just was kind of like kismet. But we did, yeah, we didn't hand it over to her, though. She still had to, everybody she has did. to, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're a friend of Leverage, you just can't have a sh job. We don't want people thinking that. Uh, and emailing me and Chris <laughs> and, you know, trying to foist their, uh, their their nieces and nephews from Akron with dreams off on us. No, still got to audition. Uh, but she was fantastic. She was really good, and she had to do a little switch in the middle, which I thought was nice. You know, it was, mm -hmm. it was really great. And uh, moving on and talking about our Fab Five, as we're now calling them. Gina, really? No, no, no. I'm, I'm calling them no, that. No, I'm going to go TV show, man. I'm going to call TV tropes. I'm going to say, I'm going I'm to go five-man band. <laughs> okay, about our five-man band. That's too hard to say. All right, Fab, Fab five. five. All right, fine. Gina asks, the scene with Hardison and Parker fending off the henchmen in the stairwell. How did you film those stunts? With the camera. Next. With the cam nice. Yes. All uh, right. It was, uh, Jen was there, but it was a, were you there? Paul was there. But, uh, Paul was there. Paul was there for there. Um, it was a mix of Beth and Aldous and actually a parkour guy that we found nice. in Portland. I do remember and we, an emphasized guy. His yeah. name is Joey Adrian. <laughs> Joey Adrian. He's yeah. like a human spider monkey. Yes. Um, and didn't want to wear a safety wire because he's just that nimble, but we are safe. And we made him wear the safety yeah. wire. Yeah. But it was the, one of the few times in, in Working High that I've ever seen a safety wire be slack because he was climbing too fast for them to pull it. <laughs> that's right. That's he was just, that's they kept right. trying to, because you got to keep it sort of tight but mm -hmm. free enough to move. And he was just moving so fast they couldn't pull that's the slack amazing. up fast enough. Yeah, he was he was incredible and uh, looked fetching in a blonde wig. <laughs> but but that's Beth doing a lot of the, up on the poses on oh, the yeah. stairs and yeah. doing the first couple jumps. Yeah, no, she didn't, uh, yeah. And we gave Hardison his fight. 
Yes. Which was very nice. And this quiet choke out too. The quiet choke out yeah. too. The sort of shh, 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 <laughs> sort of thing from uh, from uh, Saving Private Ryan. And I think his pants split at some point. Yeah. <laughs> when he knees the guy, this is on a DVD commentary. You have to wait for the DVDs to come out. When he knees the guy, they heard a <laughs> and they he, they thought, oh god, we've broken something. Or and the, his suit was so finely tailored because Aldous is Aldous is cut. I mean, that's a good looking man. Yeah. Uh, but the 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 crotch shredded. And uh, nice. if you buy the DVD, you can hear us joke about that for about a half an hour. On the <laughs> no, no injuries to the guy who's parkouring his way up the uh, yeah. spiral staircase, but Aldous's pants yeah. split right yes. down there. Suit fatality. Yeah. Suit fatality. <laughs> we have another uh, Hardison question. Social Butterfly asks, exactly where is that nuclear facility Hardison stole the cesium from, and how did he pull that heist off? Uh, I like Social Butterfly as opposed to Anti-Social Butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off with your pollen! <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I don't want to flutter. Uh, the, uh, it was based on when I was a stand-up, uh, I did Portland and Washington State, and I did Richland and Yakima and Kennewick, and that was when they had just, uh, which sounds like a venereal... Those aren't real places. It, it is. It sounds like a, a horrible venereal disease. Uh, you have Kennewick. Um, <laughs> no! Yakima. Yeah, it's a lovely little... Uh, it's in eastern Washington. And the Hanford nuclear facility was out there, and it had just been shut down when I was doing stand-up. So I was keenly aware. And at the time, they would tell you, don't mention the nuclear facility. And I'd oh. go, of course, I also would be angry that nuclear waste had seeped into my water supply. And the owner of the comedy club said, no, people are angry the jobs are gone. Don't joke about oh. they could really they had not processed yet that they had been brutally poisoned for decades. They had were kind of like really angry that the, the plant was shut down, um, and uh, so I avoided that. Uh, by the way, lovely it was a lovely tour. I was a, the, one of the reasons I know Oregon so well is I did stand up all through there and, oh. and really loved. That's probably really got to like the place. Um, not Spokane, uh, <laughs> and, but right across the border there is real pretty. So, um, so I knew that facility was there. That was just in the in the DNA, and I knew that they were cleaning it up and that. And so, when she'd written the radioactive stuff, I'm like, well, luckily, there's just a bunch of it, just right there. That was one of those things too, where I was like all proud about finding out about Hanford. And I had like written on my piece of paper, and I was like, wow, we. I was. He knew that already. <laughs> okay. I, you know, my Wind job is no weird. Oh, that's when you go like this. Yeah. Just point. He's, Chris is pointing and smacking with his index finger. <laughs> the whenever paper. You, whenever somebody has the same pitch as you, it's a, it's a comedy writer thing where you hold up your piece of paper and you jab your finger at it <laughs> to make sure that was my pitch. Yeah. I had that. You know, that's my my job is to know weird shit. We all have our jobs in the room. That's right. My job is to know that that stuff. That's the only job, right? It's pretty much it. <laughs> pretty much it. <laughs> So how did he pull the heist off? Oh, so he went in the front as a nuclear <laughs> regulatory inspector, and then he changed into the uh, safety gear, and then he got one of the waste containers and removed it. But of course, he's not Parker, so he set off the alarms. He can't go out the front, so he deked out the back through the closed-up construction site where they're, okay. re, uh, where they're reclaiming the nice soil, thing. and then went over the fence. All right. And you can see that there on the Leverage Animated Series. On the Leverage <laughs> Animated Series. It's Saturday yeah. morning with yeah. a bowl of cereal. Oh, and that set is, show. I think I posted like a, a photo of That's like of it behind us. It's basically right behind our set. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, moving on now to talk about uh, Sophie. Allie asks, when a con requires Sophie to flirt with the mark, does that make Nate jealous at all or cause any trouble in their relationship? I don't think so. I think they're pretty secure at this point. 
And so much yes. of her job is flirting. I mean, it's yeah. like you'd be, you know, it's, it's like asking her to stay home and not work. Yeah, that's really. And she's a grifter. She's a grifter. That's her job. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think they're in that situation. I think that you know, it might have been a different dynamic, second or third year, but mm-hmm. even then, it was very complicated. We never wanted to do that. Yeah. That's just that feel. That feels like false jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. We're not going to see that guy again. He's not a threat. He's a day yeah. player. Thank you for coming. They're both mature adults. Yes, exactly. Uh, for our next question, we, we may have already addressed it with the uh, Jack Daniels, uh, but Izzy asks, I find it hard to believe Elliot wouldn't chime in once during an entire con about wine, especially with Hardison. Was he just holding back his knowledge, and if so, why? Uh, he didn't, We didn't need his knowledge. It was, it was he, he has demonstrated knowledge of wine. Yeah. I think if you think to the Lonely Hearts No, no, he, he absolutely has. Yeah. But we didn't need him. He was right. busy doing his job, and right. it was very much an intentional thing that Hardison was partitioned off over here. Mm-hmm. Elliot was busy being detective undercover dude over here. Mm-hmm. And also, so, we've, see, we've seen them have yeah. that dynamic. You don't need so to see it again. We don't need yeah. to see it. It was more interesting to watch the Nate pep talk. Right. It was more mm-hmm. interesting to watch the Nate, like, kind of, you know, you can do this, you just have to reduce it down to something you understand. And boom. Right. Makes sense. And we always love to see, much like the food episode, Hardison start dubious and then overinvest. Because Hardison <laughs> overinvests. That's you know, he's my wife. Like my wife makes fun of me. Like I, I have protocols. Like I have just like, when I get interested in something, it's two weeks where I just read everything about it. Yeah. And so Hardison, I think, is like, I don't want to do wine. Oh, wine's interesting. I'm making wine. Like it just like right. slides right down that right. slope. All the wine. Yeah. Uh, and so for our last official question, Anonymous asks, is this the first time the team has oversold a con, or has this ever happened God, to them no. before? God, no. All the, all, a lot of the time. Uh, we succeed too well? We've succeeded it? too well. Yes. Is on, I believe it's on the wall. It's, yeah. You know, we have X number. Look, the, the trick is, as you can tell, I've been doing game design. You want to fail forward. Mm-hmm. So, And you need the, the crew to, in a regular detective show, they don't fail ever. People give them information they didn't know they needed or were unaware of. And every now and then they run into a block, but at that point, usually the, the detective goes back and looks at the old footage of the something, some clue you saw in the first act, and there's new information out of that clue. But very rarely, maybe one out of every four or five episodes. Generally, it's like an act of television for a detective show is, we go talk to someone, uh, they give us information, which leads to a new question, that's the end of the act. For us, we, we can't just drive through the con. So we need to set our guys back, and how do you do that? Through failure, but you just don't want new stuff showing up. You just don't want stuff they do not to work, because then the con blows. So you have, to, you have to fail forward. So in the writer's room, we have a lot of, like, what is the way you can fail in an interesting manner? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, you can fail because of this thing that I, we talked about before, we did not realize it was X, like a new, new, a new twist on old information. Uh, we can fail because of over-emotional, over uh, because... Um, we have an emotional reaction to it. The team has an emotional reaction to it that we did not expect or complicates things. Uh, but the big one is you succeed too well. The team is the best at what they do in the world, and they have just talked themselves right up into a situation that is just a little bit bigger than you thought. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's combined with hubris. That's combined with, like, you know, you could say they succeed too well in the uh, season opener when they, they decide to sell the guy, the Spruce Goose, but that's because Nate decided he wanted to try to do that. He's right. just too proud not to. So the, the, all of those problems come from different directions in the show. And also, you know, marks are not machines. They're human yes, beings. Exactly. So, uh, you know, they, you, you, you can, you can uh, predict a set of responses that yeah. they can have to a, to a con, but you, you can't tell well, which one it's going to be, and it could but, be but, but it much, more, much worse than, much, much see, you know, it can happen much better than what you thought. And, and if, if you do it well, um, 
and I, I wrote about this a little while ago, and I'm going to write about it in something else, is the fact that in detective shows and TV, there's no opponent. Right. You are chasing the, the problem as the opponent. Mm -hmm. We actually have a human that you're mm -hmm. wrestling with and is we're trying to trick, and they're making moves and counter moves. Right. It's a much more complicated structure, uh, although easier in some ways. And, um, you know, for a best example is uh, uh, the, the one with the priest, first season. Oh, uh, Miracle, Miracle Job. Job. Miracle Job, where he is a ruthless merchandiser, and we give him a miracle to scare him off, and he decides to merchandise the miracle. Right. You know, it's always better if the, the mistake you made is a natural extension of the mark rather than just, oh, it turns out he doesn't like X. Right. I couldn't have known that. Right. You know, it should always be something like, you know, uh, Hitchcock, had, Hitchcock had the great uh, uh, unexpected yet inevitable, mm. you know, and that that's an important part of it. Mm. Well, that's a complicated answer for a fairly simple <laughs> Yes, <laughs> good but, answer. But yeah. very... I think the fans will be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and for a much lighter fare, we have our bonus questions. So Miss Grifter wants to know, how drunk did Nate and Sophie get on the Jefferson wine? Uh, yeah, pretty drunk. Assuming it was the Jefferson wine. Assuming Nate hasn't learned how to con Sophie. <laughs> Although, I mean, it's a bottle of wine. I mean, he, he, um, he is a, He's an a alcoholic, functioning alcoholic. Functioning alcoholic. You know what's weird, though? Wine will, wine will kind of get me. Really? Yeah, I can oh, drink I can a drink, bottle of Irish. I could drink wine all See, night. See, it's, it's what it is. I can drink a bottle of Irish whiskey without, and oh. the, the writing staff has seen me do it in an afternoon oh, without too true. much damage. Uh, but, yeah, like two or three glasses of wine, I'm feeling it. Oh. Yeah. But Nate is probably, Nate was fine. Nate was fine. I don't think, Nate. and Sophie's probably pretty used to Pretty used to drinking and holding her. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a little clue to Sophie's background, actually. I always, I always said we might never actually find out all of Sophie's background, <laughs> but she's uh, she can hold her she can hold her bottle. Good to know. Uh, moving on, Sarah J asks. By the way, I know right now there are fans like you don't have to be sad. <laughs> Just tell us the goddamn background. It's up to you. You're the writers. <laughs> It's certainly not in a book located in our <laughs> No, it's not. There is no there's master book, book with all the... With you like that. You really kind of get... Build, you they like believe it. there's a book, and <laughs> I always try and tell them there's no book. But the more you do it, the more you convince them I know, there's actually a book. I know. The podcast microphone is right here. <sighs> no. Moving on. Sarah J. asks, whose choice was it to put Hardison in a pink tie? Brilliant. I think that would be Nadine's Nadine choice. Haters. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever you see something cool in wardrobe, you go, wow, that's cool. That's probably the wardrobe person's choice. Like, very, everything was very wine-themed, yeah. right? The, mm -hmm. All the wardrobe, I think there was a lot That was in a lovely kind of yep. springy colors. And yeah, even Christian, there's not a lot of men who could, men who could pull off that T-shirt. Mm -hmm. And Kane, Kane pulled off the lovely okay. T-shirt. And, and, but it was. It was everything was kind of in that springy palette. Mm -hmm. Yes, you know? yeah. And for our last question, I think this is my favorite question of for this podcast. Jay Angel asks, so if, so if everyone on the leverage team did have superpowers, what would they be? Radioactive superpowers. Oh, oh you mean like assuming that they brought back the radioactive item and then bathed them in radioactivity, thereby yeah. Yeah. Remember, enhancing there's, their well, there's, normal There's powers. the line in the episode right, right. where she goes, I'm, I'm radioactive, why don't I have yeah, superpowers? Yeah, 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 right, right, we right, all right. feel cheated. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're so right. So why right. is that? Right. Um, right. Uh, so not the usual radioactive superpowers, which is like brittle bones and hair loss, but <laughs> yeah. right, exactly. yeah. like real, real, <laughs> actual, yeah. oh, like yeah. power, like, okay. Um, Those aren't so much powers, it's like horrible, <laughs> horrible things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It could be a power. You could, there might How be a superpower. I don't know, like you're fighting a dude and he grabs your hair and it comes out, you're like, ah, surprise. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't really depend on what they're interacting with at the time of the, the reactivity. I mean, the power remember of mortification. They, well, yes, it's always the two things. Remember the Texas tornado was just a guy who was like in Texas next to a nuclear power plant when the a tornado, tornado came, swept right. up all have, of the radioactivity and made him the human tornado? To be fair, now this is complicated. To be fair, 
Usually it is a combination of mutagenic X and factor Y. So factor Y, mutagenic X gives you the, the exaggerated power of factor Y. Right. That you're so, did you happen to now, be interacting. Now what's interesting is that that's not it's not true for everybody, but but in theory, Superman's foreign birth plus yellow sun. Right. Uh, the okay. Hulk, you know, gamma radiation plus rage. And he, right. what's weird is his own id is the is the is the superpower. Oh, right. Interesting. So, you know, but um, but you know, once they put mutants in the Marvel universe, it all changes. They're born with their just random mm. variations. But back in the '60s, you had to combine people. Now it's interesting. The Fantastic Four were just exposed to radiation, mm-hmm. without a specific tuning mechanism. But in the yeah. movie, the uh, Chris Evans movie, and Ian Griffold, or however they say that, they actually made a point of exposing them to different things during was the. He, was Lee he Jenner. playing with fire? I don't, even remember. I don't. I don't remember that. But yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure they made a point of like showing why each one of them got that right. power. Mm. Right. Uh, which was unnecessary. The Fantastic Four is just fine the way it is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Jack, I guess it really depends on what they're doing at the time. Yeah. That's what we're <laughs> yeah. saying. But all right, it's uh, typing, right. he becomes let the us go. Let us keyboard, go. Uh, keyboard. Let us do the dial H for hero type of thing where just they can get whatever superpower would be fitting. <laughs> uh, Jen, you're a big comics fan, right? You're, you're, I'm like a medium comics you're fan. You're a medium comics I'm, fan. I'm but you came late, right? I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I was like, I'm that Sandman, chicks who dig Sandman. Oh, that I, whole generation. Yes. Neil Gaiman. <laughs> Neil Gaiman. Thank you, Neil. I don't, I don't know anything about that. No, Neil Gaiman came and brought like uh, gothy, gothy comics to the mainstream, oh, so you can right. read Sandman and, and look at and dress up like Death, and you know, <laughs> yeah, and just yeah. a little. You could cosplay, but just look like you were a goth girl. It was amazing. <laughs> it was a really. Game you need ad- to for us. Game in advance, yes. Game in advance. Oh, they're talking about their feelings and identity a lot. <laughs> it's not just, what, how does uh, Ward Ellis call it? It's not just underwear perverts punching each other. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Those are men in their underwear hitting each other just for 22 pages. What? How is this not weird? Okay, powers, powers, powers. Let's see. Um, uh, I would bet Parker would want invisibility. Oh, that's good. Yeah, sure. Both for when she was younger. Uh, right. Now you got to kind of go in the misfits right. realm. You're going yeah. in misfits right. here. She feels socially outside. I she like when I can make Paula do the little the little geek dance. <laughs> over there. Uh, yeah, it. Misfits That's is good. a great show. Filthy as hell, but you should you should watch it. Um, so yeah, if she was the outsider, young, so she wanted sure. to protect herself That's with good. invisibility and then use it to commit her crimes. Uh, what would Elliot's superpower be? Um, does he, is there a superpower Elliot doesn't have? I know, exactly. It's like, uh, That's really. the problem. Uh, power over women, no. <laughs> power to fight, no. Power to regenerate. No, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, Elliot's pretty pretty close to Wolverine baseline yeah, as is. I know, I don't so, know. yeah. Um, Aldous, yeah, it would be, it'd be internet stuff. It'd be like, he'd be a, he'd like to be like, I bet Madrox, uh, Jimmy Madrox, the multiple man. Like he'd want to be able to replicate. Multiple man, okay. Be able to yeah, replicate right. in different good. servers, all like whatever you, the closest you can get to uplinking your consciousness. Aldous, uh, hardest one would right. want to do. There's right. also that like ex machina thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, did oh, you read how Damon? about how about uh, Damon? Did you read Damon? Who Daniel Silva's, Silva's Damon about the I uploaded didn't. AI? It's really good. It's re- it, it's Damon and Freedom Inc. I, I really like both of them. The drone book I didn't like as much, but those two were great. Damon, D A E M O N, uh, demon technically, but. Yeah. Um, uh, Sophie. Uh, Shape shifting. Oh, that's good. Yes, perfect. Yes. perfect. Yeah, that's a good. metamorph. Yeah, exactly. I like that. And you know what? And uh, Nate's would be to stop time. Oh, that's pretty good. I was going to say that's cosmic good. awareness. Cosmic which awareness, was my, which was my favorite <laughs> superpower, because it's just you know stuff. Yeah. Well. 
Okay. And and your face and your face gets covered in space. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> Who was that? Captain Marvel Captain had, cos- Marvel. had yeah. cosmic awareness. Yeah. And when he and when the he filtering process it, must be tough. And when he employed it, his face became yes. space. And then there is an unhappy fifteen-year-old. He suddenly Tulsa. he suddenly I mean, knew stuff. I don't I don't want unhappy fifteen-year-olds. <laughs> forward, <laughs> forward. I need to know how to defuse an atomic bomb. It's really <laughs> trippy. Uh, there's a French boy who will fail his math test. No, I just, there's too much cosmic awareness going on. But I, I think if we're going with classic... I uh, like stop time. Stop time, excellent. because you know what? It's it's almost the power he needs, which is to go back in time and save his son. Oh, but it's not but he quite. Can't. Oh, it's, hard, it's heartbreaking. Stop time to try to figure out how That's to stop one. tragedies. That is the great question. I just made I made Kayla do sad, sad fangirl slums. You're doing sad fangirl slums. I'm sad now. You're like uh, you're like Jenny Callender's death sad right now. You just like you got the whole slump going. Well, grifters. <laughs> On that note, and I don't want any spoiler bullshit for the Jenny Callender comment. That's like 15 <laughs> years old. I think we're probably fine. Yeah. Well, grifters, that about wraps us up on another episode. Yo, of what, the... what was your superpower? Rate? My, uh, I don't know. Uh, this is the last couple podcasts. Come on, we're opening up the format. What's my your... superpower. I mean, I'm down with the cosmic awareness thing, but that's already been taken. Um, I think you'd do great with cosmic awareness. <laughs> Half your face is space. Half my you know face stuff. is space. I want that. Um, I'm taking the cosmic awareness. All right, I'm taking on. it. Chris, nice. what's your now, Chris? We we mentioned this in passing. Chris has a very specific knowledge of comics from when he was a kid. It's 74 to eighty two. Eighty two. He's he is encyclopedic, <laughs> yeah. and then everything else he knows nothing about. Yeah, no, I don't know anything. Um, uh, that's a really good question. I, you know what? I really got into all the I, uh, the gritty stuff like back then. Oh, I you like the Iron Age? Yeah, you like the Iron liked, Age comics. Uh, yeah. I like. Well, I like Master of Kung Fu. I want to like. Oh, cool. I want to drive around London with the uh, blackjack tar. Oh and, yeah. Uh, and so I your like superpower that. would be. Not be the kid sitting in the divorce dad's house <laughs> reading, comics. reading comic books. That's I wanted to be someplace. Be it was like James Bond with kung fu. James Bond with kung fu is pretty. That's is pretty, pretty really what I wanted. Jen, what was your super RB? Absolutely flight. 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 That's so weird. That's mine. Flight is the best. Flight is the best. Everything Absolutely else best. leads yeah. you down a dark hole. I think. Yeah. Like, uh, how will I abuse this yes, power? I, I can't really. You know what I'll do with flight? I'll go cool places. Yeah. I'll fly around yeah. and I'll come back. I'll if we've learned nothing from Chronicle, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm going to rule the world with my cosmic awareness. You can. That's go hopefully you'll be a munificent. Paula, what's your superpower? Paula, come on. Paula. Oh, you have to just have to. You don't have to explain it. I know you don't like to talk on the podcast. I honestly, I always wanted to be a rogue. Of the X Men. Oh, oh, that's yeah. good. So yeah. absorb other people's, but that only works in a universe with powers. But you all have powers. Oh, there you so go. Whatever. So there you go. So you're just uh, absorbing other people's powers. Well, it's so she works. Works. blue, though. Yeah. Rope? She, she's she's mystique. Oh, mystique. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And that's mystique. shapeshifting. Oh, and that's shapeshifting, and she's actually mystique um, at Fostered Rogue. Yeah. A little bit of. Intel for you. Oh, thanks. Paula <laughs> knows everything about the X. Right now, the podcast people are like, well, when did the when did the cute Italian girl in those comics show up? When did this, <laughs> when did this happen in the podcast? Have we been missing this? They have been missing this. Yeah. Paula has denied the podcast yeah, I, fans I, I for far too long. All right, well, that was cool. That was fun. That was excellent. That was really up. Cool. So? It's, it's better when we drink in the morning. So it it's gets true. <laughs> 
So that officially wraps us up on this episode of the Leverage 10 podcast. So thanks for sending us your questions and listening to our X-Men ramble. Uh, and thanks for our guests for being here. So don't forget to catch the last two episodes of the season on Tuesdays, 10 p.m. Pacific, only on TNT. And don't forget to send in your questions after the episodes air, either via Twitter with hashtag Leverage10Podcast or on the Leverage Facebook page. And join us next week when we discuss episode 514, The Toy Job. And also don't forget to check out the brand new podcast from our very own Leverage showrunner, Chris Downey, if you haven't done so already. The Downey Files, now on iTunes. Thanks for listening, Grifters. Thank you. Thank you.